me begin by welcoming everyone we've got with us this morning. We have several people that are away, but I also know we have several visitors that are here today, and we welcome you. Um, you are our honored guest. I hope we make you feel welcome, and I hope you will want to continue to come back and be with us every time you can. If you've not filled out a visitor's card, you ought to see one just in front of you, and we'd appreciate you filling that out. You, you can, if you've not already done that, you can just hand it to me as you, as you leave today, but we would appreciate knowing you were here. A couple of announcements that I want to make about upcoming sermons, and then I'll get right into kicking off this second quarter as we look at our theme. But in tonight's uh, service, and it won't be a sermon, but we're going to have a prayer service We've done that a couple of times before, and several of you have requested that we do that from time to time, so we're going to do that this evening. And basically what that means is if you have a particular thing you would like for us to, to pray about specifically, um, invite you to be here, of course, at 4 o'clock, and how we'll conduct that is we'll just have you write it out, or you can go ahead and be doing that this afternoon, and you can turn it in. I'll kind of arrange that and ask different people to lead prayers, but... Um, if you've got a prayer request, tonight will be a good time to be here, or this afternoon at 4 o'clock, to be here, and we'll, we'll dedicate time to pray. Also, next Sunday morning, you may have noticed uh, in the list of sermons that we're going to have another one of our question and answer sermons. I try to do that a couple of times a year, and the subject next Sunday will be repentance. So if you've got any questions uh, in particular about repenting, about repentance, uh, be thinking about that, and the way I, that uh, we do that is I just have you, again, write out your question. I'll have guys kind of collect that at the beginning, and then I'll do my best to deal with those questions, um, of course, from the standpoint of Scripture. So, again, be thinking about both of those sermons tonight and next Sunday morning. Now, without any further delay, let's go back to our theme. Be holy, God says. You shall be holy. For I am holy, 1 Peter 1 and verse 16. We talked about in the first quarter, and I will make mention, you will see in this lesson, to the idea of establishing, building, and maintaining a relationship with God. The truth is, we're going to be talking about that all year long, but this particular quarter, we're going to focus on the emphasis of being holy in my weakness. When Wes and I were talking about this, I was, I was thinking about the conversation we had at Panera, and we were talking about be holy in my weakness, be holy in my strength, and that was going to be the middle six months of this year's theme. And Wes said, I think it would be good, and I'd like for us to talk about be holy in my weakness first before we talk about be holy in my strength. And he gave some reasons why that will become evident as we go through the quarter. And uh, I thought that made a lot of sense. That was a great suggestion. And so we're going to look at that, the idea of be holy in my weakness. Let's go a little further with that idea. Be holy in my weakness. Now, you'll notice also, and we started out, and you may have seen me put up those four bullet points of what we're going to look at, and the idea of be holy in my weakness means that I'm going to acknowledge my separation from God. Now, I, I won't have the mountain on the slide this morning. You may be glad for that, but... If you remember, I put up over and over again the idea of God at the top of a mountain, the idea of us down below, and that great separation that exists between us. And really, and, and, and truthfully, we probably feel that a lot of times. I'm just not as close to God as I need to be. Maybe I do focus on some particular weakness. And you know, I'd ask you, not for 
confession publicly or anything like that, but for you to contemplate where you're sitting right now. What are your weaknesses? What great weakness, perhaps, do you have? I'm sure you know it. I'm sure you're well aware of it. And it may even be a weakness that others would be surprised you have. You might, it might be something that you alone struggle with, just you and God. But what is your weakness? What do you consider to be the thing that would separate you or does separate you from God? In other words, let me put it in, in a different way. When you look at yourself and you consider your own weakness or weaknesses, is it what is keeping you from being as close to God as you would like to be right now? You see, Isaiah in this passage that Kevin just read for us, when he saw God in a vision, what he immediately began to think of was his weakness. He said, Woe unto me, for I am undone. And that word just means literally that I am torn apart. I am failing is the idea. And I think we feel that as, as individuals. As Christians even, we feel sometimes I'm not getting it done. I'm not doing what I need to be doing. I'm failing. I'm separated from God. I'm not as close to God as I need to be. As Isaiah went on to say, because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Let me go back to something that I had earlier last quarter, very early last quarter. Some of you may have been here for this lesson where I kind of, and this is a picture, some artist's depiction of Isaiah. You may be able to see him down at the bottom of the screen. But Isaiah before God on the throne, as you look back at Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah contemplating God on the throne. You'll notice in this passage, and go back with me, we won't reread it all. But again, remember, he saw the Lord sitting on the throne. He was high and lifted up. And then he saw the seraphim. And the seraphim were worshiping God, holy, 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 Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. And indeed, I think a Christian is impressed with that. I think we're impressed with that when we see a newborn baby. We're impressed with that when we see the flowers begin to bloom. I believe we contemplate the greatness of God in the simplest of emotions, in the greatest of wonders on the earth, etc. The whole earth is full of your glory, God. But then... Notice how he turns it inwardly, verse 5, as we just read. Woe is me, or woe unto me. I am undone, is the idea here. I am a man of unclean lips. I'm, Kevin, did your translation say ruined? I am ruined? Yeah, I am ruined. And here's the idea, literally, of coming to ruin. Like you think of a building falling apart or something falling down into ruins. That's the way Isaiah saw himself. I'm just failing. I'm not what I'm supposed to be. The structure is not what it should be. Now notice as he goes on here, though, in verse 6. Then flew one of the seraphim. Again, he realizes the holiness of God and he feels completely unworthy. I liken it to Peter. In Luke chapter 5, you know, Jesus said, go out and fish. Well, Jesus, we've been fishing all night long. Well, go out and do it again. And they go out and he said, and drop your net on, you know, on the right side of the boat. Well, okay, you know, I'll do what you want me to do. And he can't even haul in all the fish. He knows 
He's in the presence of God. He comes back in and what he says to God is, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. I believe a humble person feels that. I'm not worthy, Isaiah was saying, I am not worthy to be in your presence. Maybe little children are worthy. They're innocent. They're sinless. They're flawless. There is no separation. But the babies that are here today, there is no separation between them and God. They have never experienced it. They've never felt it. How many of us would love to be back in that position? But no, we've, we've been ruined in that sense. We've failed in that sense. And that's what we feel. Now don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that it is a hopeless situation because I don't believe it is. But if you're humble, you feel that. Jesus, I don't need to be in your presence. I am a sinful man. No, Peter, I will put you in a position to be honored by people for thousands of years. Just like the seraphim coming to Isaiah. And you read it in the passage here. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand that he had taken from the tongs off the altar. Now that's all figurative. But the point is... God has the solution. There was a song that came out, I don't know, 30, 35 years ago. Jesus is the answer. And it talked about it, expresses it's a beautiful song. Some of you may know it. But it expresses this idea of being separated from God. And it expresses the idea of problems that we have in life that separate us and that cause us to feel ruined, as it were. God has the answer. And Jesus is the answer. The seraphim flew to him, and he put it upon the mouth. You see, I'm a man of unclean lips. Well, God has the answer to that. And in a figurative sense, he just burned the uncleanness away. And then he said in verse 8, Now, you're worthy. Now, you're not any longer separated. Go do what I need you to do. And Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. Because you see, it's like Paul saying to the Corinthians, there are so many things that go on in the world today. So many sins. So many great, huge sins. Sometimes I sit down with people, I'm sure Wes does, I'm sure a lot of you do. And you talk to people about perhaps going to church. And you talk to people about being a Christian. You talk to people about having a relationship with God. And they will begin to talk to you about some great problem. It may be some addiction. It may be some situation they're in or whatever. And they will talk about how they are not worthy. They can't even pray, they will say. They can't even go to church because they are so separated from God. Their lives have been so ruined, there is no way to come close to God. And you try to talk to them. And with some, you are successful. And you show them how that God says to us, just like He does in 1 Corinthians 6, yeah, that may be what you were. But you can be washed. You can be sanctified, made holy. You can be justified, made right in the sight of God. And maybe a person looks at himself or herself and says, you don't understand how far away from God I am. Oh, but we do, don't we? There are a lot of us sitting in here right now who understand exactly what they're feeling. And who at one time perhaps in our life wondered how, like Isaiah... How could you take this life that's just been ruined and bring it to a closeness with you? 
Such were some of you, Paul said. And so God reaches down for us. You may remember I said this back in January. God reaches down for us and lifts us up. He assures us, you are holy. That's the point. Yes, I am holy. You shall be holy. And you will be close to me. Now, whom shall I send? God says. And the point of that is a rhetorical question because Isaiah is the only one there, you know. Whom shall I send? And you can almost see Isaiah saying, me? You got it. You. So when we talk about be holy in my weakness, we talk about acknowledging what we are, who we are. I want you to go with me to the book of Job for a moment. And I'm going to make reference to Job probably several times throughout this quarter. And I do so for a, for a number of reasons. A long time ago when I first started preaching, I first started studying the Bible, I really did not know about Job. I mean, I had heard the name in Sunday school, but I couldn't have told you really anything about Job. And as I came to the book and I read the first part, you know, Job chapter 1 and 2 and 3, where most people focus their attention. And I see that man and all that happens to him and all the strength he has. You know, his wife just, you know, why do you keep your integrity? Curse God and die. No. Shall we, you know, have the good things at the hand of God and not the bad? And I looked at all of that and I said, man, what a a man Job was. That ain't me. You know? And I don't know that that could ever be me. And then as I got older and I dug deeper into the book, I realized there was a very beautiful thing going on. That Job, through this experience, and I won't focus much on that this morning for sake of time, but through this experience, God was dealing with Job not in his strength. He he utilized his strength. He faced what he faced in the beginning of the book. That's his strength. But God was dealing with Job, not in his strength, but in his weakness. Now, a person might say, well, I'm not sure I see the weakness of Job. Read through the book and you will. And God deals with him, comes to him, and draws him close to himself in his weakness. And that's what we need. That's what we want. Notice in Job 9, as Job is being, you know, the the badgering, I almost call it, but the the friends have come and they've begun to talk to Job and they've begun to say to Job, man, what did you do? Job, you were a great guy and everything was going wonderful for you. you. What did you do? You must have fouled up bad. And Job is like, no, no. And then Job will even get in this book to the point where Job will say, you know, basically, I'm perfect. I'm just like it says at the opening of the book, you won't find a better person. And he goes very deeply, very far in that. But there's a point in Job 9 where Job begins to say, you know, I would look at God and I would begin to say to God, why, God, have you done this to me? You ever been there? You ever been doing the best you can do? And then something happened in life where you don't understand why it's happening and you want to look to God and say, why are you doing I would do that, Job said. But how do you approach God? Read with me some verses out of Job 9. Verse 1. Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just or right with God? How can a man really be right with God? 
And if he will contend with him. Here's the idea of going to God and, and basically, you know, pleading your case. This shouldn't be happening. This ought not be so. He cannot answer him one of a thousand. There's not a one thing out of a thousand that you can contend with God and say, God, you are wrong in that point. You may be right at 999, but that point you're wrong in. Job said, you can't do that. God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. And who's hardened himself against him and has prospered? You don't fight against God. You lose every time. And who, you know, the God who removes the mountains and they don't know it, that overturns them in his anger, etc. So he goes on with that. You just can't contend with God. Drop down to verse 14 when he says this. How much less shall I answer and choose out my words to reason with him? You know, when you begin to think, I'm going to go to God and I'm going to say to God, I don't deserve this. This should not be happening. This is not the way things are supposed to be. If you're going to go to God, once you begin to think about it, the less and the less and the less you say. You try to choose your words carefully, and even so, you say less and less. And you'll notice as he says it like this, Whom though I were righteous... Yet would I not answer. Notice how he's beginning to shift here. If I were really right, I still couldn't answer it. Notice as he goes on, but I would make supplication. I would ask, not tell God. Now verse 16. If I had called and he had answered me, yet would I not believe that he had hearkened unto my voice. In other words, I've called him, I've come to him, I've stated my case and pleaded my cause. It would not be that I think whatever God says that I kind of reminded God of some things, and God said, oh, you know what, you're right, I was wrong. It would never be that way. Notice that Job goes on, drop down to verse 19. If I speak of strength, lo, he is strong. In other words, no matter how strong I may think I am, man, God is strong. And if of judgment, who shall set me a time to plead? If I justify myself, my own mouth shall condemn me. You ever felt like that? Even when the words are coming out of your mouth of how good and right and pure and holy and everything else you are, you know, when the words are coming, you, you kind of want to pull them back because, boy, that ain't right. Job is saying that. If I say I'm perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. I love that verse. And I've thought about that many times. Though I were perfect, yet would I not know my soul. You know, if I ever get to the point where I think I am you know, I'm just absolutely perfect, man. I mean, you can't improve on this model. You know, what Job is saying is, all that means is, I don't know myself as good as I thought I did. And so, God, I understand what you're doing here. I would despise my life. The more I thought about how good and perfect I am, the more I would disregard myself because I'm not. Now, you'll notice where this ends up. Drop down to verse 27. If I say, I will just forget my complaint. Maybe I started out saying, I'm going to go to God and tell him how this ain't right. You know, this is not right, God. This should not be the case in my life. But even if I said, I'll just forget my complaint, I'll leave off my heaviness and comfort myself. And I think that's the way some people approach it. You know, I don't have a right to feel bad. So let me just do something to placate myself, and if I do that, then that's fine with God. Because really what God wants is you never feel all of this. 
No. I'm afraid of all my sorrows, verse 28, because you know they're still there. You can do whatever you can do to appease yourself emotionally for a time, but the substance, the basis, the foundation of why you felt that way in the first place doesn't go away. So Job says, I know that thou will not hold me innocent. Just because I feel better about me doesn't mean I'm innocent. Now on the other hand, verse 29, if I be wicked, well, why then do I labor in vain? You know, if, if all I am is a bad person, if there's no good in me, I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I know some of us have. There's, I, no, I'm, just, I'm just bad. And there is no good in me whatsoever. And if I were to go to God, or not even go to God, but just say that, and God were to witness, witness me saying that, God would answer me back, and I should answer me back. Then why try? And why are you trying? And why have you ever tried? If you're just so bad, then what makes you try to be better? And the point there is get over it. If I wash myself with snow water, and I think the idea there, if I can find the purest water on earth and cleanse myself, and I make my hands never so clean. Now, I'm not going to dwell on that because I'm coming back to that idea of cleansing yourself and purifying yourself, but not this morning. If I were to do that, verse 31, you would plunge me in a ditch, like a muddy, stinky ditch, and my own clothes would abhor me. Why? Why is it that no matter how I go to God, God, I'm worthless. God, I'm perfect. God, I'm somewhere in between. I'm a mess. I'm ruined, like Isaiah said. Why is it that no matter how I go to God, God has an answer back from me? Basically saying, you're focusing on one part of you only, and that's not how I want you to see you. He is not a man like I am. Because that's what I tend to do. I'm great today. Everything's wonderful today. No, it's not. Some things are not wonderful. I'm down today. Everything is terrible. No, it's not. Some things are great today. I'm terrible. I'm, sin, I'm just full of sin. There's no... No, it's, that's not true. There's a lot of good in you. I'm a good person. No, you're not. There's sin in you. No matter what I say, no matter how I feel, no matter what emotional part of the roller coaster I want to ride, God has still got an answer back for that. Why? Because He is not a man. He is God. And that's what Job is saying. He is not a man that I should answer him. And the idea is that I should talk to him equally. He is not. And we should come together in judgment. And neither is there any days, man, the King James says. A lot of your translations say go-between or mediator or arbitrator even. There's no days, man, betwixt us that may lay his hand upon us both. Let him take his rod away from me and let not his fear terrify me. Now, this is where Job is at this point, And we will talk about that. But that I would speak and not fear him, but it is not so. Here is Job contemplating himself and realizing how complex, how complicated an individual he is. And that's exactly the way you should see yourself. And here is Job in his weakness. And I think that's evident in Job 9. In his weakness. But I want you to notice what I put here. Be holy in my weakness, not in spite of it. 
And I believe that the first thing that has to happen in an individual that is going to be more holy is that you have to realize you have to be holy in your weakness, not in spite of it. This is what I mean by that. If you have come today believing that what God says to you is you get yourself holy in the way we think of it, okay? Most of us think of it. You get yourself holy and then you're worthy to be a Christian. You're worthy to pray to me. You're worthy to sing to me. You're worthy to worship me. You're worthy to hold your head up and walk into a group of, group of holy people like this and feel like you're one of them. If that's what you come believing, that is not the biblical picture. The biblical picture is, I've ruined my life. I'm a man of unclean lips in the midst of a people of unclean lips. God says, i got an answer for that. Whom shall I send? Me? Exactly. You. Depart from me, Jesus. I'm a sinful man. You don't want to be around me. You, you don't know all the things I've done. Of course I know all the things you've done. I know every mistake, every thought, every bad feeling, every sin you ever committed. And I tell you, Peter, you can be a man of great faith. And a man who can serve as one of my chosen apostles. That's who you are. Okay. <laughs> man, they come to get you and I'll fight for I'll die for you. No, you won't. You'll be weak, just like you are. And you will still be holy in your weakness because I believe in you. I prayed for you, and when you're converted, you will be able not only to be stronger, but to strengthen other people. That's you, Peter. That's you. A person of contradictions, a per person of highs and lows, a person that makes mistakes, and yet a person who has great victories. And that is a holy person in their weakness. And that's what I want out of you, Peter. I'm not asking you to take a sabbatical and go out to the middle of the Sea of Galilee and get everything straightened out and then come be an apostle. That's not what I'm asking. And it's not what I'm asking of anyone you'll ever teach. I'm asking that you, in your weakness, come to me. Just like Job was saying here. You don't come to me and argue with me and tell me the way it's going to be and fight with me and contend with me and rewrite everything I say. You come to me in your weakness. Not in spite of it. Not denying it. Not shoving it to the side. But in it. And you see, that's the key. That's the key to understanding the importance of the process that we kept mentioning in quarter one. The process to holiness. Perfecting your holiness in the fear of God. It's a process. It's not an all at once thing. Be holy in my weakness. In John 6, Jesus made the point that no man comes to God except the Father draws him. In John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way to God the truth, and the life. In Hebrews chapter 12, we are told that He is the mediator of a better covenant. 
and we come to God, to that mountain of God, as it pictures there. We come to it through Him. Again, in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5, even praying to God, we go through Him. So you see, the point is, of all of these verses and so many more, is exactly what Job was talking about. Our relationship is built and maintained in Jesus. That's what we kept saying last quarter. We come to God. We abide in God through Jesus. We relate to God through Jesus. He is Job's day's man. And let me talk about why for a second here. Because Job made a point here that was very real. And the idea was there is no man, no day's man, notice in verse 33, between us who can lay hand on us both, who perfectly understands both, who is both God and man. There's nobody like that. Oh, but there is now. And that's Jesus. All your hope, everything you have to come close to God is in Jesus. I love that song you led on here. I didn't think about that line in that song, but I told my wife, that second verse, that first line, tears me up every time. You are my brother. You are my friend. Even though you are my king. That's Jesus. That's the help I have, the hope I have. That is the answer, just like the song that I was quoting earlier. That's the answer. And the more I understand Jesus and the more I come to have a real relationship with my brother, my best friend Jesus, the more I will be holy in my weakness. And I will be what God wants me to be. Be holy in my weakness. Let me make a couple statements here in closing. All human relationships have weaknesses and they have strengths because we're not perfect. We're not flawless individuals. Now notice I'm talking about any time a relationship involves a human. That is the case. The best, the closest relationship you have with anyone, think about this, includes the weakness. Well, there are plenty of relationships we have that don't. There are plenty of people out there and they know me only as, oh, you're the preacher, you're the whatever. Yeah, that's right. And that's all they know. But that's not the relationship I have with these people sitting on this bench right here. They've seen the worst. They've seen the weakest. The closest relationships, the best relationships you have include the weaknesses in the relationship. Not in spite of it. It is not that you go to the relationship and you forget those things. You hide those things. You, as I said here, you put on a pretense. You have a facade, or as I like to call it, and I do this number, game face. Because game face means, you know exactly what it means. You put your best foot forward. You show your best. You do your best. You watch every word you say. You know you're in some formal occasion at a funeral or whatever it might be, and you are going to make sure every, I mean, even how you hold your hands. Now, I don't sit around at home at night with my wife or my daughter I don't sit there worrying about where my hands are. Do you? And I don't try to make sure every word that comes out of my mouth is grammatically correct. Do you? Because I don't have to. It's the closest relationships on earth and they include the weaknesses in the relationship. The weaknesses are part of what solidifies the relationship, isn't it? I know theirs, they know mine.
We share those things, but we don't just share them. We come to depend on the other. Uh, Tom, in the wedding, you know, was talking about help meet for, suitable, what you need, all of that kind of thing. That's the point. That's the reason Jesus created the whole marriage institution. So you complement one another. So you lend to the other what you lack. I thought it was an interesting point Friday night too, and I'll I'll share this quickly. But talking about looking at Genesis 1 and seeing what God made, everything it made, it is good. Then he comes to man, it is not good that man should be alone. No, that he needs more. He's the other part. So he built a woman. But you see, the closest relationship, we gain the understanding we need. We gain the support we need. We gain the belief, the trust that we need to grow stronger, to overcome. Now, don't misunderstand. That's the relationship I need with God. That's the relationship Peter had with Jesus. Exactly. And he depended on it. And Jesus believed in it. And it helped Peter to be what Peter became at the end of his life. That ought to be what we have with God. In my weakness, not in spite of it. Are you here this morning and you're not a Christian? And maybe you look at your life and you say, I have a lot of weakness. I don't feel close to God. You begin to be close to God by taking the first step. You come to God. Maybe you're scared and you're unsure and you look at yourself and you don't know that you can make it. That's not important. God does. You believe in Jesus. He is the Son of God and you believe that. We'll talk about it next Sunday morning, but you're willing to repent. You want your life to be different from what it is right now. You'll be baptized. Because Jesus said, be baptized. Wash away your sins. Start. Be born again. Begin a life with me. And maybe you're here today and you look at your life and you say, well, I've done all of that and I am a Christian, I'm a child of God, but I still don't feel close to God. And I know I need to start some things I haven't been doing. And maybe you want to ask for us to pray together with you and we'd be glad to do that. Won't you please come? I'll be standing.